tribe, family, friends, group, people. Humans are tribal in nature. We're not a species that's designed to be alone, to work alone, or to go through life alone. Who you choose to be in your tribe is quite possibly the most important ongoing choice that you make in life. For men, this idea can be tricky, though, because while we all have a desire to belong, we are in our most masculine form often deeply competitive, driven, and hierarchical. Today, we're going to discuss the need not only for a strong tribe in your life, but also why there's a difference between tribe and friendship. Why you need a strong presence in your life or friendship to help you bring out your most evolved self. How definitions of words blur the lines and make our connections sometimes confusing and difficult. And why we need to rethink the current narratives. All of this and more on today's Evolved Man. Welcome to the Evolved Man, where we are at war with the mediocrity of modern man. The Evolved Man is for men like you who are willing to be strong, open, and aggressive learners. Men who are not afraid to disrupt and change. It's time we ditch the current conventional idea that we devolve with age, that the dad bod is our destiny, and that the glory days are behind us. Your best isn't behind you, and I'm here to provide you with practical tools, a few tips and tricks, and everyday wisdom to help you evolve into your highest form. Strong, lean, smart, educated, and emotionally intelligent. Now, let's go to war. Welcome back to The Evolved Man, where we are at war with the mediocrity of modern man. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor of this episode, Med One Capital, for sponsoring this episode of The Evolved Man. We appreciate the support. The Med One Group exists for the sole purpose of making needed medical equipment available to the healthcare industry. You can find more information at medonegroup.com. Today, I'm joined by the most interesting man that I know, my good friend, part of my tribe, W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Hey. Hey. I, you know, it's, once we get going, man, I got I got some pushback on a couple of things you said. Well, I'm just <laughs> there's some pushback coming, Steve. There, it, we, it wouldn't be a friendship if there wasn't. Yeah, there's some pushback coming up. But first of all, I'm glad to be here. It's good to see you. You know, you too. I don't see, I don't see your face a lot. We talk a lot. I don't see your face, so I relish the moments when I get to see your face when we're talking. It's because you buy those cheap phones from uh, the grocery store. And we can't FaceTime. If you had an iPhone, we'd FaceTime more. Well, that you're probably right. But again, knowing that I can see you sparingly makes it more exciting when I do see you. If I could see you on a regular <laughs> it's, basis, we'd give the, a fuck. It's the anticipation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought Let, let's, after let's, 40 plus years on this planet, you would have learned that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's start with where the episode came from. So recently you and I were talking about this topic of friendship tribe, uh, and you brought up a few points that I want to make sure we cover uh, relating to verbiage, lexicon, and just how we talk about relationships in life. But before we get into that, uh, I want to set it up with a question for our listeners. I want our listeners to hear the question that I asked you. And the first question is, how many friends do you have in your life? 
Now, I asked you this question, Miles, because of something that you said a while back when your son said to you something of to this effect. Dad, you've got a lot of friends. You know a lot of people. Well, how many friends do you have? And I thought your answer was uh, both insightful and it intrigued me. It got me thinking about relationships in my life. Um, so before we jump in and, and I ask you that question, Miles, uh, I want to ask our listeners, how many friends do you feel like you have in your life? So, Miles, when when your son asked you this question, you had a really insightful answer. What was it? Um, I can't remember what exactly the answer was. Um uh, because I do have a lot of friends, but you know, I've, I've it, it's funny after we talked the other day, I've kind of started to mind. I think one of the things we, we don't do, um, and not that we have to is, you know, define the parameters, parameters of what friendship is. Um, you know, people come and go in our lives and, 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 and some stay, some stick around, some don't. And, uh, you know, it's just, um, I don't even know where to go from here. Just, just, it's quite a few people. And I have strict, um, as I said to you the other day, um, some of my metrics are time. You know, I believe in there's, there's friends that I can spend a lot of time with and there's friends that I can't spend a lot of time with. And that doesn't negate their friendship. It just, it just dictates, you know, how much time I can spend with a particular person given the dynamics between the two of us. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's basically fundamentally what it is. You've been through a lot of different stages of life. You've lived yeah. in multiple states. You've spent time on movie sets, on TV sets. You spent time in the fitness industry. You've been in food. You've been, you've been in multiple industries across multiple areas. You know people who are famous. You know people who are not famous. You know people who uh, you stay connected with and you stay close to and and acquaintances where you touch base maybe every now and then. Yeah. And one of the things that stood out to me was you said, hey, I, I have this time metric that I look at. And yeah. so, yeah, there are there's a lot of people that I know. But it's a matter of looking at how much time am I going to invest in them? Talk a little bit about the time metric. This is interesting because um, I didn't think about this, um, what I'm about to say until now. This is, we should have like a sound thing that's like, uh-oh, this bell, it goes off. Brand new perspective, brand new go. thought. And we I'll, hit the I'll gong. program something into the, into the podcast. Yeah, because... Board. Everything you said was 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 right. That's you know the time metric. Um, I have friends I can spend a lot of time with. Um, I have friends that I want to spend a lot of time with, and then I have friends that I don't. But they're still friends, and it's still a valuable relationship. Um, what the the what the this brand new perspective is? What I've never done is ask the question, how do they view me? <laughs> Interesting. You know, I could have some friends who. You know, they say, I love talking to Miles. I love to, I could talk to him for hours. And, you know, and that would be that relationship. But I can have other friends who say, you know what? You know, sometimes he just, he goes too far. He talks too much or whatever. And yeah, I could tolerate Miles for maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> I've never asked that question. But it's it, always, it comes to ahead. what you talked about the other day of this, uh, the, this definition of an expiry date. Right, the expiration date. 
but I've never thought since the 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 whole idea of the expiration date is a conscious thought that I put together. Um, I think we probably do it unconsciously. Um, I've never thought about the person who, in in their mind, my expiration time is really short. I could tolerate miles for about fifteen minutes, and then I gotta go. <laughs> Given that there are two currencies in life that we consistently trade on a regular basis, money and time. Money comes and goes. There are moments of life where we may have more. There are moments where we have less. Time is interesting because we can look at time and we can say, I have 10 minutes or I have an hour. But as time moves forward, we become older. We view time in a different way. And that's why I think that the idea of the expiration date was a fascinating concept. Talk to our listeners a little bit about this concept of expiration. Well, I mean, this is something that can be expanded well beyond the interaction of friends. Um, it, this also extends to hobbies, um, things that you're doing. Um, Priorities, you know. I I know people. Now that I'm living in a small rural area, I know people who love love uh, tending their gardens. And so they they they'll initially spend a lot of time, you know, spring, fall, a lot of time, lots of time outside, and they get into a flow of that. Because I also think one of the components of a friendship is um, you get into a flow with a person. And that can be a short flow, but when you when we think about time spent and, and enjoyment, uh, we don't we're not aware of the time as we get into flow. And so I think all of your friends, regardless of the expiration time, at some point you hit your flow with that person. It could be five minutes, it could be an hour, and then after you get out of the flow is when you know you're kind of meandering and rambling, and then maybe it's time to go. But I think flow is a really important aspect of friendship because this is where the two different souls have matched something. And even if there's disagreement in the flow, it's a creative disagreement where you're pulling things apart, you're putting things together. The, um, the dynamic of that relationship is about building and building involves destruction and rebuilding and things like that. And that takes you into flow. And, and there's your friendship. And it could be many different things. I have one particular friend. Uh, our flow is sports. And we'll get up there and we're talking. It's interesting because he's a lot younger than me. He's, he's in his early 40s. And there's some things about life that are starting to happen to him that he knows that I've been through. So there's the flow connection now between some life things that I've experienced that he's experiencing that we build on and talk about there. But the majority of our friendship has been about sports. We get there, we argue about it, we play with it, we laugh about the humor of sports, and we get into a flow. And then outside of that, you can feel the ebb of the conversation. And, <clears throat> and then usually, again, another part of this, and, and I think I have a list of things that since we talked, I wrote down. There's the concern for and empathy of the person that you call a friend. And that's just the consideration of like, what are you going through? Is Do you need to talk about anything? This is what I'm going through. And there's a flow there. So I, I think there's these 
five or six different connections that you connect and get into a flow um, with your friend. And again, um, irrespective of the time, there's no time that your empathy, your empathetic portion of your friendship could be two minutes. You know, you're sitting there, you're listening, you're not advising, you're just listening and listening. And then that person might not even ask anything about you, but a week later you're having a conversation and they're talking about you. Hey man, I saw a post that you put up. You okay? What's going on? How's everything? Or just general questions. And I think all of that is comes to a, a this, uh, what's the word I would like to use? A confluence of these things that are not regimented, but you flow in and out of them. Yeah. And that makes, that makes your friendships. There, there's a, uh, an almost circuitous nature to it where yeah, I, yeah, if yeah. I give to you, you give to me, but it's not a one for one. And it's not a, um, just a, a simple back and forth in one conversation. It is something that flows over time. I mean, relationships as, uh, James P. Cars talks about are, are part of what we would call an infinite game. We're not playing a short-term game. We're not playing a finite game where there's rules and regulations that then end in a score of who won. An infinite game is something that we just continue to have the same goal, and that's to keep moving forward, to keep playing, to keep to stay in the game, essentially. Let's talk a little bit about flow. Now, Dr. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, in his research on flow, talks about that a flow state happens when we have that perfect combination where we're on essentially this knife edge of effort and energy, but it's not too difficult. And I think about some of the conversations that you and I've been in where we get into a very long flow state. In fact, I remember one time looking down as, as we wrapped up a conversation and we were about three and a half hours in when, when, um, I looked at the uh, time that we had spent on the phone together and it was one of the most intense heated conversations that we had ever had where we were talking everything from life to politics, to economics. And we laughed and we challenged each other and we pushed each other. And, but when it was all done, there was this, sense of satisfaction, which is another thing that Dr. Chick said me high talks about when it, when we get into a state of flow, I want to go back to what you said earlier, that it's not just about this flow where it always feels good, but there's no tension. There's no disagreement. There's no, um, back and forth. That's part of it because if there's not challenge, whether it's mental challenge or emotional challenge, we, we have a harder time getting into a state of flow. How do you see that? Um, so I, th I think one by, by nature, um, let's see if I can build on this. I think by nature, I am a particularly curious person. Mm. Right? I, I just love reading, searching things, questioning things, asking people of things. And because that's my nature, or I've built that nature, because I haven't always been like that. Um, when I'm with people, that nature comes out. They'll say something that's triggering. Yeah. And and the trigger is not a bad thing. It's just a trigger. It's like they said something that I'm familiar with or or I'm not familiar with. If I'm not familiar with and they're familiar with, I ask more questions and they start to explain. 
And so already we've gotten, we're in this kind of a flow because there's something that I don't understand or I didn't know existed or I only had partial information. And the person who I'm talking to has more information about it. So then we're having this conversation and because of my curious nature, I still keep asking questions, which in turn forces them to ask more questions because maybe they haven't minded um, the, the topic we're talking about. They haven't minded as much as they would have, but they know more than me. And if you get two curious minds together, you just start building. And again, building has that element of also destroying or creative destruction. And you're looking for something to go forward with. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, you become, there, there's a goal there. If you're both creative and you're both curious, and I, I don't mean creative in terms of like, you're a painter or, or you're a musician, but creative in terms of that you actively seek creating things in life. Yeah. Right? We're doing a podcast. We're creating something right now. We're creating a, a, a product that people can listen to. That's creative in nature. We're also curious. Right. We're not coming to this podcast with all of the answers. We're coming to this podcast with an idea to go back and forth and to discuss and debate this idea of what is friendship? What is a tribe? How do these things play out in, in our lives? How do they affect men in particular? So let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask you a question. Goal. Yeah. Let me ask you this quick question. Um, and I'm, I'm almost, I would stake my life that you've had this experience where you've seen you're talking to somebody and you've sparked curiosity in the other person mm -hmm. and you and you see it and it's something that the other person may not have considered but now all of a sudden they're curious about it which lights you up in a whole nother way yeah yeah and it's 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 almost as if this could be the beginning of friendships and i've had this happen um here in Oberlin at that the hotel because the hotel brings in a lot of people from all over the world for this college. And I've sat there with people and and just started a conversation and you can feel the 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 excitement, the 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 lights are going on, they're popping on because you're having a tremendous conversation with somebody and you've introduced something and lights up their curiosity and and they're curious by nature anyway. So then all of a sudden they're thinking about building on the very thing you just asked. And there you go. And 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 then and deep in the back of your mind, you think, oh, this could be a friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that it, it it's a great question. I've actually had that happen multiple times, but it comes back to a question that I asked you the other day of how do you see friendship versus uh, a colleague versus an acquaintance versus um, how, whatever else we would define uh, right. a friendship or a connection as. And you, yeah. you said something that was pretty fascinating to me. Do you remember what you said? Yeah. I just talked about, I talked about um, these concrete definitions <clears throat> that set these hard boundaries. And, and I said that I've, I don't do that anymore. I look at it as more as a fluidity, you know, so that when you're when you're interacting with somebody who is a so the the let's use the word colleague. Yeah. That's pretty concrete. This person is a colleague. 
And if you view them as such, then they'll probably always remain a colleague. But if you soften it and turn it into the word colleague into this kind of energy, it softens that word and it allows the possibility of a colleague to become a friend. Because now you're more open. And let's say a colleague you bump into in the cafeteria of the workspace, you bump into them at meetings, you have these interactions. And if you, you know, I guess there's some people out there that really like to maintain those strict boundaries. And, 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 and I understand that. Right. But when you soften the boundary and then the colleague says something that sparks this curiosity again, that makes you wonder what they're like outside of the workplace. You know, you and I, we love to cook. Mm-hmm. And imagine we have, you know, where we have colleagues and somebody says something, you know, one day offhandedly, it, you have, you've had a meeting with the colleague and something in a meeting triggered the colleague to say, well, the other day I was really trying to make pizza and I'm having trouble with the dough. And he just said it offhanded. And then you light up. Wow. I, I had that. I'm struggling with my pizza now. So now you've kind of transcended the boundaries of colleague. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to go anywhere. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go anywhere. But just softening those terms and allow them to be just these kind of energies where you now you can have these, the relationship possesses the possibility of a certain fluidity so that every definition you have of a particular relationship has this fluid concept that you, it could become more and obviously it could become less. Yeah. I, and I love the, the idea of not having these clearly defined roles of colleague, friend, acquaintance, because of that, that concept of fluidity. I was having a conversation with uh, someone one time, a client of mine, and I had mentioned the importance of tribe. You know, we talk about it. I talk about it a lot with my clients. We don't talk about it a lot on podcasts, but I talk about the importance of tribe with, with my um, top executive clients that, who you surround yourself with and the friends that you have and the people that you have chosen to be in a specific tribe of yours, that that those, those are important people because they will help you to either rise up or they will be the people that will uh, invariably be the ones that will hold you back because of the, the social mores that are within that particular group or that tribe or that friendship. And I just mentioned, as we were talking about tribe, how a friend of mine and I, we were out to dinner uh, one time and he just, he was struggling with something and he just broke down crying. And he was, he was, you know, I, I said, Hey, you know, we're, we're cool. Take your time. And he just sobbed for a minute. And told me what was going on. I reinforced my love, my support, and the importance of him seeing the things that were in him that maybe he didn't see at that particular time. I expressed a sense of loyalty uh, to, to him that he was not feeling in other parts. And the connection and the bond that we had uh, in that moment was great, but it was also indicative of our larger connection, friendship, uh, however you want to describe it. When I explained this to my client, he, he said, wow, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like to be able to just go out to dinner or to call a friend and just start laying it all out there. I, I can't, I, I don't know what that would feel like. And I felt sad in that moment, but it also made me become more aware 
of how rare that is in our society right now yeah. and how many men I talk to that that feel the same way, even though they may not say that, how many men are not connected? They don't have friends, people that are close to them, however you want to call it, that they can just truly open up to. I mean, I think when I called you the other day, I told you, I said, I can count on one hand, really the number of people that I could just call and lay everything out. Like right. all my frustrations, all my, whatever is going on in my life. I know that, that, that there's probably you and maybe one other one, one or two other people that I could just lay everything out. Hey, this is what's happening. No judgment, no criticism, always loyal, which to me, loyal is not just that you go along with it because you don't just go along with what I'm saying. You'll challenge a thought. If you think that it's off of what uh, you believe or off of what you think that I believe but this is uh, it it it's a it's a challenge and i think it's a challenge especially with men where we're defining things and we don't know when or how to make those shifts to slowly move into a next level of connection or intimacy or uh openness with another person another man and how do we have these conversations and gosh if i if I open up and I expose the fact that I'm feeling frustrated or that I'm feeling um, some doubt or that I'm dealing with challenge or problems in life, then maybe I'm going to be viewed as weak and I'm going to be thrown out of this friend group or my friend won't want to talk to me anymore. Th these are all very common problems that I hear yeah. men dealing with. So that's one of the reasons why I love this idea of taking a very nuanced approach, taking the labels off and, and saying, okay, what's the energy? What's, what is the feeling that we have right now between us? And if there's a creative energy that gets sparked through this conversation, just saying, huh, okay, this is kind of cool. It might turn into something else. It might turn into something where we can have deeper friendships, deeper conversations. I think back to when you and I first met. I was intrigued by your intellect, but it, it it was several conversations and maybe even a couple of years into our relationship uh, of knowing each other before we started to get deeper into certain topics. Yeah. Before we started like we were to, dancing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we would, we would have these little short interactions, these short little interludes of dancing. Right. And then, and then one night, you know, somehow you just, you put, I'm just creating a hypothetical situation. You know, I'm sitting at home drinking wine and I'm going over all of the little dances that we've created. And then I sit there after having the second glass of wine and go, that's a really cool motherfucker right there, that Steve guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I remember the day that I I went home and I was sitting around. I, I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but I remember where I was in my house. And I thought, you know, I I need more of this ongoing mental stimulation. I get so tired and so bored of just the, the the mundane and not going deep enough in life. And so I started a group text and I still remember exactly what I sent and what I said to you and our friend Casey Ruff, who uh, hosts the, the wildly popular Boundless Body Radio uh, podcast. And I posed this idea of, hey, what if we got together and we started, uh, you know, doing a book club? Yeah. And that became the genesis of something that led to deeper conversations, deeper uh, uh, insight, deeper yeah. relationship. 
but it was something that took some time. And, yeah. you know, now I don't know how many years later you're on my speed dial as a guy that I can just call up and say, Hey, uh, I'm, what do you think about this idea? Or, Hey, I'm stuck or, Hey, you know, and vice versa. Yeah. So yeah. if we take away the labels, if we take those things and just set them aside and we, we, we start to go more with this energy or this feel, then we can play with that a bit more. And we can say to ourselves, how do I find, uh, how do I invest more time into people right. that are exciting parts of me, stimulating parts of me that are waking up parts of my brain that were not awake before? Well, let's go right. Let's wind back a second. Just had we maintained the labels yeah. that were that were our definitions. You were the general manager, right? So there's general manager and then I there's was the boss the, of everything. You were the boss. Yeah. But it, uh, I wanted to use general manager more importantly because right. the direct boss, you know, um, Skip Gagnon, when I first started with Skip. So the the general manager is even further removed from boss. Right, right. Because your interactions with the team is a little different, you know. You 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 wore many hats. Skip yeah, wore one so hat. Technically, I was two levels above you, and and right. You know, one one level or well, three levels above you, two levels above Casey. Right. Exactly. So right. imagine had we maintained that. Yeah. This probably would never have happened. Well, and the funny thing is, and I don't know if you recall this, but I said, hey, guys, we've got to really keep this on the down low because there is a stigma. There is something about uh, the boss can't be friends with with people that are, uh, right. you know, lower than him. But right. I thought, ah, the hell with it. We we need to have these conversations. We need to, I need the mental stimulation of my life. You two were people, uh, two guys that interested me, fascinated me, and that we could laugh and joke and we could go deeper on these ideas and these concepts. So I did something that's taboo. And I said, all right, right. let's go a little bit deeper in this, in this uh, friendship and let's explore some ideas together. Yeah. And that goes, that's X tribe that goes against the tribe that we were a part yeah. of at the time. Yeah. You know, it's like you when, saw through the veil. Right. Right. And when we think about uh, tribe, so I want to, I want to pause on tribe for just a second. Cause I think it's a word that, that really, it gets thrown around a lot today. Um, we talk about it uh, in in the coaching at Evolve. Uh, it, it's a word that really signifies what group or groups are you a part of. And we've got multiple tribes in life. You know, I've got my my nuclear family that's a tribe. I've got my extended family that that's another tribe. I've got uh, people that I work with uh, that I do business with. People that are clients. There's there's multiple tribes. There's different levels of friendship. But amongst all of those tribes, I think that there are, at least from my perspective, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, there's there's common characteristics. I think there's three common characteristics of any tribe. Number one is shared values. Number two is shared goals. And then number three is there's some sort of common signaling. And I would say visual signaling uh, more often than not. And the reason I bring up visual signaling is because let's say that you and I are uh, Harley riders and you have a Harley Davidson. I have a Harley Davidson. And so we will dress like Harley Davidson riders. We might wear Harley gear. We may even have uh, vests or jackets that have our shared name on it. Um, you know, like when you, when, when uh, professors get together, 
There's shared visual signaling typically with professors uh, where they will sit down and they'll they'll have a book club and they may all be dressing in tweed jackets, right? Uh, people in the gym culture and part people that are part of that tribe, they dress a certain way to show that they're <laughs> a part of that tribe. Yeah. Bodybuilders dress different than CrossFit athletes and CrossFit athletes dress different than marathon runners, but they're all signaling visually that they're a part of a tribe. Now, amongst all these tribes, there's shared values, there's shared goals. And I think, again, from my perspective, those are the three aspects of a tribe. Would you add anything to that? No, you covered it. That's in terms of tribe, you covered it. So, but, well, I, there was a, there's, there's an extension and it's a quick story out and then I'll let you get back to it. Cause I really want to hear what you're going to say. Okay. Um, was at work one day at lifetime fitness and guy comes in with his son and he was talking about football, you know, and the son must've been about nine or 10 years old. Yeah. And I asked the kid, I said, um, what position? He said, he's a running back. And I just got this idea. And I said, can I steal your son for a second? So I took him behind the desk, went on YouTube and put in the greatest running backs ever. And nice. we watched Barry Sanders, Walter Payton. Uh, we watched Allen. Gale Sayers, Marcus Ooh, Allen. Sayers, and then the kid was watching, he was lit up. And then that when the video went off, it lasted about four or five minutes when it went off. I said, that's your family. Mm. I said, you should learn from them. Those yeah. are your people. That's your Those tribe. are your people. Yeah. And the dad looked at me and said, oh, thank you. That was a great idea. And the kid went off. It was like, so the, the, the extended almost, I guess nowadays we would call it the virtual family um, tribe. Yeah. yeah. You know, like right now, part of my virtual tribe of all of the chefs that when I'm on Instagram, who, and some have contacted me now, they look at my videos and they think, oh, that's really nice or whatever. That's that's part of my tribe, the, the people who cook, you. Yeah, right. We And we have these different tribes. I think part of the challenge that, that I run into, and the reason I bring up tribe, is because tribe is essential to how we find friends. Tribe is essential to how we identify friends. And sometimes, especially men, we get a little bit flummoxed when it comes to this idea of who are my friends and how do I show up? Am I, uh, you know, am I conforming with tribe? Am I signaling that I'm non-tribal, that I'm ex-tribe? Am I, am I signaling something that shows um, that I am the leader of the tribe or not? And men tend to have a hierarchy within tribe. It's not just in, in, in humans. We see this in primates as well, but there is a significant hierarchy that happens within tribe. And that oftentimes gets in the way of friendship. Now, oh, I don't yeah. think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it does get in the way of friendship. One of the questions that I want to explore is there's, when we go from one group, one tribe to another, how do we make those transitions? <laughs> and what happens when people who were a part of a tribe that we are now no longer part of, how do we maintain the friendships? How do we maintain the things that are important or does it matter? I, well, one, I did, it, obviously this depends on the individual and how strong he, she, or they are. Because sometimes the tribe does set up these kind of boundaries and limitations that 
unofficially you're not supposed to cross. Right, right. But again, depending on the individual, when you when you spot something, someone, you spot an idea. You know, imagine us if we didn't look at each other as people, or human beings. We just watched us. We 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 uh considered us as ideas. You okay. know, Steve Cutler, not the human being, not this, not that. Steve Cutler is an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm and I'm and and I'm open to ideas. Well, I look Almost at like you an and I go archetype or a, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He says even a better word, an archetype. And and somewhere whether you're ruffling my feathers or making something smoother or easier, it's a connection that I have to have mm-hmm. because the archetype in me recognizes the archetype in you. And it's like, I, that that's, this would be stupid to uphold the tenets of this tribal because remember tribe is also the, the connotation is also very primordial. Yeah. And one of the things that real, I'm going to digress just a moment. And, and I, Cause I think we always have to be careful. Listen, I'm starting to think that this is one of my central themes um, in my existence is understanding that we are an evolving people. And in this country, we are a very young country. Mm-hmm. And one of the subtexts of America. We don't talk about it like that. We talk right. about it like we've been around forever and that we are right. going to be around forever. Right. But we are and, young. Yeah. And one of the subtexts in American, if you look at America and look for some of its themes, one of the subtexts that's going on in America is the push and pull of the future and uh, the present and the past. And some people hold on to the past and some people want to go forward into the future. And so that's, that's a tug. It's a tug of war. That's one of the sub themes in American life period. So, and the past is kind of tribal and primordial. Right. You know, so we're trying to, we're trying to find a way to violate the 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 tenets of the tribe because we've recognized a member inside of the tribe as an archetype that connects with us on some profound and maybe even some superficial way. Yeah, I, and that's an it's an interesting. I, I like that you bring it up with with America, uh, because we have, especially in the past probably seven or eight years. Maybe a little bit longer, but at least from my perspective, I've seen a deep division of tribe. My side, your side, conservative, liberal. Um, you're with me or you're not. You're you're vaccinated or you're anti-vax. Right? We've created these binaries. Yeah. And when you think about great relationships in life, they're not binary by nature. There's a great relationship has so many tendrils into every aspect of who you are. There are so many layers. It's like this beautiful flaky crust that you just almost never (laughs) get to the bottom of. And it it, it (laughs) prickles and cracks and it tastes great. I mean, that's what great relationships are. They're nuanced and they're layered with many, many things. And yet within tribe, we've created our own barriers because no, I'm not going to be friends with this person who believes that ideology. I have to disagree with that. Now, James Carson, I'm actually reading a, a new book by him. It's, it's new to me, obviously Carson has passed away. And so it's not new to him, but he said in this book that oftentimes 
we determine our beliefs by determining what we don't believe. And I think sometimes we determine who our friends are by understanding who our friends are not. We determine who our tribe is by understanding who our tribe is not, but it doesn't have to necessarily be binary. So I I found an interesting friction, I should say, in life. And I want to run through this. And I, I, so that I know you know this, but maybe for our listeners, this might be instructive. And I don't know, hopefully helpful to somebody to hear part of my story and why this is such an important thing to me, because I've, I've found a difficult friction from time to time. Now, often it's very, very slight in nature, but it's a friction with former family, or excuse me, former friends and family uh, that I grew up with, because I was a part of a faith for the first, first 30 years of my life, and about 17 years ago, I stepped away from that faith. And there were a few interesting dynamics that kind of play into that that I want to I want to talk about. The first one is finding your tribe. The second one is, you know, what what do you do with a family that's still a part of it? And then how do you address the story that's told? Mm. And I'll, I want to talk about the story that's told first. So about 17 years ago, I I made a very deeply personal, deeply spiritual, and deeply difficult decision that um, I needed to move in a different direction. Not because I believed something was horrible or wrong or bad. It just, I got to the point where through a lot of meditation, a lot of study, a lot of prayer, a lot of thought, a lot of anguish. I made the decision that I needed to um, move my life more integrous with what my deeply held core beliefs were. So I made the choice to leave. And actually what happened was I went to my wife and I said, hey, here's where I'm at. And I understand we've been married for a while and I'm changing the rules of the game and I, I, I get it. If if me making this choice means that you have to leave me, then I understand because I'm changing the rules of the game. And I, uh, I'll i take care of you. I'll support you. There's going to be no fight, no argument in terms of child support, alimony, whatever. But I, I need to live integrous with what I believe, not somebody else's beliefs. So there's a common narrative, though, amongst the church that I left that tells followers that people who leave, leave for two reasons. Number one, they're offended, or number two, they were led away by the power of the devil. And talk about binaries. Very, very binary. Wow. I recall a conversation that I had with my father uh, not long after I left, where he posed a question to me, you know, do you think you'd benefit from forgiving the people who offended you and coming back to the church? And I, and I was very confused by that question. I said, I didn't leave because someone offended me. I, I left because I had differences in perspective relative to belief, doctrine, and practices. Uh, it, it was extremely heart-wrenching to leave. I mean, it was, it literally felt like cutting off an arm, pulling my heart out, chopping off my leg, and banging my head with a hammer. It was, it was extremely painful. I can't even explain the anguish that it took to make that decision. 
but I felt like it was the most integrous decision that I could make at the time. So it also felt like that part of me had died. Part of me had completely died because I was leaving something that I knew for the first 30 years of my life. Toughest decision that I had ever made. And it uh, ripped my heart out and honestly ripped out uh, much of my life from underneath me. So that aside, let me just detour for a second. What my dad was referring to was a time where I'd received an anonymous envelope on my porch with my name on it. Now, a week before, I taught a lesson in the Sunday school class of, of this church about God and his unconditional love for us. Now, it was partially scriptural based, and it was partially theoretical, just based on a question that I was posing. And I was very clear about this uh, when I posed something and said, here's what it says in the scriptures, and here's my theory or my question. So I started by talking about the love that I had for my kids, the love that I felt when they were born, the love that I felt for them now. And I thought to myself, what would it take for them or for me not to love them? And I couldn't think of anything. And I thought about this for days and days and days. And so finally, I picked up the phone and I called my dad and I said, Dad, what would it take for you not to love me? I asked my mom the same question, but I had a longer conversation with my dad about it. And he said, nothing. There's not anything you could do uh, for me not to love you. So we talked for some time and, and both came to the conclusion that his love for me and my love for my kids would be really tough, if not impossible, to break. Now, disappointed, frustrated, sure. As parents, we all have felt that before. But this idea that somehow love wouldn't be there, I just couldn't imagine it. He couldn't imagine it. And so I asked a question to the class in this, in this uh, Sunday school class. I said, just do, do me a favor, go on this thought experiment with me. What would it take for you not to love your kids anymore? Uh, same answers came back. Well, I'd be sad, disappointed, but, you know, I, we can't imagine anything. And there were a few people who shared some really difficult things that they had been through with their kids. And that when they shared those, they said, it almost made me love them more because I want, I saw the hurt, the pain that they were going through. Yeah, I probably wanted to smack them or shake them and say, snap out of it. But it was all because of love. So I said, when, when your kids make a mistake, poor decisions, or even just outright rebel, setting aside any of the negative emotions, did you or do you stop loving them? Again, the answer was no. So the next question, can you think of a time when you were not living well? You were defiant of what you believed God's laws were, his commandments, or even you were just making mistakes. And then as soon as you turned back to God and you asked questions, how did you feel? The answer was, well, I felt an outpouring of love. I felt empathy. I felt forgiveness. I felt Right? There was these positive emotions that people felt. So about an hour or so later, as we wrapped up, people coming up to me in tears and thanking me for the conversation and, um, and the challenging questions. And they said, it's really changed my perspective on this idea of what does it mean to have unconditioned love for another person and that God's love is unconditional for us and how much safer I feel knowing that there is 
a God, there's a person in my life that there's a, an entity, a being that has this unconditioned love for me. So that was it. About a week later, there was a letter that was dropped off on my porch, uh, just had my name on it. And there were several printed talks from leaders of that church, um, historical leaders, directly stating that God's love is conditional. It's conditioned upon obedience to the commandments. <laughs> now, wow. obviously, I have some disagreement with this, and that's okay. And I would say that those things were, you know, that, that maybe those were taken out of context, but I actually read through everything that the person printed. I went and found the entire talk. I read multiple things on it. I don't think that they were necessarily taken out of context. Now, I'm not sure that that is the official doctrine of that church. I don't think it is. Regardless, we disagreed. I'm okay with disagreement. You and I disagree all the time. We're still friends. In fact, our friendship gets even better the more often we disagree. That, in my dad's mind, was the moment that I became offended. And I left. It, it's not true. Now, did I think that that was a bit cowardly for someone to just leave something on my doorstep? I mean, yeah, probably. Come on, knock on my door. Let's have a chat. Let's, let, let, let's even right. debate it, right? <laughs> but that was the reason that I chose to go in a different path. I mean, come on. No way. Offended? Yeah. No. Yeah. So every few months or so, I have family and friends that will try to send subtle, you know, signals of trying to coax me back because of my supposed offense. I, I had no offense. I don't feel the offense now. I didn't feel the offense then. And if we're being just completely honest and factual about it, and I've asked a few people this question. I've said to my, I've said to them, think about the path that I've chosen to go on. Do you really think, number one, that I'm the type of guy that gets offended easily? No. Okay. Well, if I'm a, if I, even if I do get offended, do you really think I would change the entire trajectory of my life and stay on that path for 16, 17 years plus <laughs> because of that? No, that doesn't make any sense. So I didn't leave because I was offended. And I didn't leave because I wanted to be led astray by the devil and go party and live a hedonistic life. I love because of something that's very deep in me. Right. Now, my friends who are part of that church, my family, sometimes they'll say, why? And it's really rare that somebody asks me why. Um. My answer is always the same. I'm not going to get into a long discussion or, or conversation because just like my Jewish friends, my Catholic friends, my Sikh friends, my, uh, in, my Hindi friends, like none of them come up and say, why are you not a part of my religion? Now, I understand why people who were uh, a part of my uh, former religion can ask that because I was and now I'm not. So I get where they're coming from. But I would not enter into a conversation with any of my other friends out of respect. I would not say, well, I don't like these things. And that's been my position from day one. Yeah, I have not left to the point where I am angry. If you know me, you know that I do not vocally on any of my platforms fight against it. I didn't leave because of a binary that this is right, that's wrong. I moved on. 
Now, here's my quandary that I want your perspective on. Relationships, especially these family relationships. We can call them friendships, right? I mean, family is sometimes who you choose. Sometimes it's blood. But relationships, I believe, like Cars talks about, are infinite games. And the goal of infinite games are just to keep playing the game. Not win or lose, like finite games. So I want to keep a good relationship with certain people. I want to keep a good relationship with family. I want to keep a good relationship with friends who are of the former faith, or my former faith. But, like I said, I don't intentionally speak out against the religion, nor do I discuss it, because I respect them. It, 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 it's a belief system that really works for a lot of people. It's also my history. It's my heritage. It goes way back. And like I said before, I don't speak out or argue with my other religious friends and tell them what I don't necessarily agree with or I don't like about their religion. So what's your thought? How would somebody like me, because there might be another person like me out there, that has chosen to move away from whether it's a faith or maybe it's a job or maybe it's a marriage and they've chosen to move in a different direction and they want to remain respectful and they want to remain consistent with who they are inside. How do they respond to that? Mm. How do they reconcile? That's well, there's some powerful things in there. You know, it's funny. One of one of my first thoughts of all this, and I don't I haven't said this, uh, even in a conversation we've had about friendships, but it would seem like, and, and I've done this before, at, at some point you gotta have the walk away mechanism. Okay. Talk about that. You gotta be able, you gotta be able to walk away, you know, because you know, one, um, when you told the story, the when, when you started to get to the end, the first thing I thought was, wow, what tremendous um, projection that they're asking, questioning, why were you offended? And you're right. saying you're not offended. In your heart, you know you're not offended. So the next question becomes, well, who's offended? Mm-hmm. They're offended. Yeah. They're offended. That's an interesting perspective. Well, but and, it's also the story that's told. The yeah. story that's told is people leave because they're offended or they've been led astray by the devil. That's a very common narrative, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's the story that's told. Now, the real story is not that. It's not that. At least right. from my perspective, maybe I'm completely wrong and the devil has got a hold of me and he is just playing me like a marionette. Um, and I'm not aware of it. Okay, so I'm I am I'm going to leave that open to uh, Judgment Day, whenever that is. Well, so 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 think of so here we have here we have our rift. Okay. Our our rift is subtle because I don't believe in any of that. So you know, in my mind, there is no devil that has your, you know, it's playing you like a marionette. I might be playing you like a marionette, but the devil's not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you are the devil. <laughs> but when I get getting back to cutting your losses, walking away, 
if 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 somebody has a central tenet in their life to do something to somebody else and not recognizing at any point the other person's perspective idea in life that's a problem because See, it would be different it would be different again let's create a hypothetical great person here's a person that they let you know steve i'm coming back why you I'm, i want you you got to come back to the church mm-hmm. and that's not all they are though there's a bunch of other tentacles that you have fun with this person this person is 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 not like this concrete i gotta get you back steve they can leave it alone every once in a while and all of that stuff you know you maintain that relationship because there's a certain it's almost as if that person understands that um in the back of their mind they're thinking you know one of these days steve's going to be sitting there drinking a 25 year old scotch and i don't drink scotch but and then i'm going to talk to him and it'll bring him back but he they're saying it with tongue in cheek like they respect who you are mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, your existence is also challenging their existence, but they're not angry about it. So they're looking at you like, maybe Steve has some answers. Maybe Steve is forcing us to question our relationship to the church, just like we're questioning his relationship to abandon the church. And that could be a pretty dynamic like relationship. Well, and here's the interesting thing. So just so we're clear, when I say I stepped away from the church. What I stepped away from was from all the trappings. And I don't mean trapping like I was trapped, right? Trappings are, um, how do I dress and how do I show up? Do I do all of the things that the church uh, that I was part of tells me to do? Do I go to church on a regular basis? I stepped away from those trappings. I didn't step away from beliefs that I share that are a part of that as well. There are many things that I have deeply held. And the interesting thing, right? So here's another fascinating piece that that I find is I'm often told, and I I don't know that I've heard this, but I'm often told that there is a negative connotation that, you know, people who leave a church, it's because they don't have faith or that they are, uh, there's a quote that gets thrown around that they are quote unquote lazy learners. Um, and I thought, wow, that's a, that's an interesting concept, lazy learner or, or lack of faith. Um, I, I, I've actually felt like it was the opposite of that. And so while I've stepped away from the trappings, some of the, uh, the methodology, the, the, the things that people do, I haven't left a lot of the beliefs. They're still very deeply ingrained in who I am as a human being. I didn't turn my back to the belief. I didn't turn my back to the things that my parents taught me. I didn't turn my back to everything that I uh, studied because I'm a truth seeker more than anything else. I'm also very creative and, and, and want to test things to see if they work. That's an interesting structure, though, like to... It brings up a whole um, another aspect of this whole idea of tribe. Uh, you you left the tribe, but maintain your beliefs, right? To a certain degree. I mean, to there are obviously yeah. obviously there are some things that I was not aligned with, and that's right. those were the things that made me say, "Okay, it's it, it it's time for me to leave right. that that part behind." 
it's almost like foundational existential questions and issues and things like that you've maintained, but you left the tribe. Yeah. And the tribe is offended that you did that because it has less to do with a stain on you than it does a stain on them because somebody in the tribe has left. Mm-hmm. And then to create all these mechanisms of without understanding you, but to create these external circumstances of why you left, you were offended, you were this, you were that, without right. understanding you. I guess this is where tribes become dangerous, you know, no matter what tribe you're you're in, you know, whether you're like a, a gangbanger, you know, the just, a, you know, I've never been a gangbanger, but the movies that have closely come close to emulating gangbanging, when people try to leave, they get hurt. Right. Um, and the gang is always trying to talk about the loyalty. You know, this is a very interesting, probably a whole nother podcast to talk about loyalty, because I've noticed loyalty has become more powerful people extracting or demanding loyalty from weaker people. But you never see weaker people questioning, like asking loyalty of powerful people. And it's almost like loyal, powerful people are exonerated from giving loyalty to weaker people, but they love to demand loyalty from weaker people. Yeah, it's one directional, for sure. Yeah, it's one directional. Well, the interesting thing is that as we, so as we moved from that tribe, um, there was, it was difficult. I would say for the next decade, um, what we heard about us, what we were, you know, what was talked about, what was said, what was um, the friendships we lost, the hateful things that were said. it, it was really tough and it was an interesting thing to go through to be X tribe right. and to see the vilification. And I've, I know I've talked a little bit about this with you and a couple of other friends and I refused to go on the defensive and then turn it into an offensive type of thing. Right. And fight and argue it. So for many years, I just took the beating, the abuse, the <laughs> negative stuff, and and uh, in many ways did it poorly because it uh, ate away uh, at parts of my soul until yeah. I found a point inside of me where I could say, hey, I'm actually okay with this. I'm okay with all of the negative things that were said, because the most important, I I can't control my reputation. What I can control is my character. And that was one of the most freeing things that I, that, that I had. And the challenge that we ran into there, and I don't know if this is the case for other people, but I know it was the case for, for myself and, and my wife. We found ourselves outside of a religion where it is the dominant religion in the state. And when you step out of that, you really don't have a lot of camps that you can become a part of that are not opposing the religion. Again, it comes back to what we see in politics. If you're not conservative, you're liberal and you have to pick a camp. And what we found was what, as we had, you know, this group of friends and that group of friends, uh, it was either people that wanted to go down this path and just sit around and, uh, you know, party and bash uh, the the church or like we were alone and we were, (laughs) 
we didn't have people that we could just connect with on on different levels. Now that changed as we lived in a different state and we met people who like, you know, the our religious belief or lack of religious belief was not the only identity. Um, but it was a really troubling time, I guess I should say, in terms of tribe. It was uh -huh. something that made me feel from time to time, like, will I ever find friends? Will I ever find a tribe? Will I ever find people that I can truly connect with? Not because of a title of I'm this in business or because of a title of I am this religion, but just because of who I am. And that was a very, very difficult time to go through. Yeah. Now, we all grow. We all evolve. We change. Uh, sometimes we probably even devolve. We move, we shift, we go from one house to another, we move from one state to another. And I know that this idea of tribe and friendship is ever changing and ever evolving in our life. You've been to multiple states, you lived in multiple neighborhoods, you grew up in New York, you lived in California for a little while, you went back to New York, and you came over to little Utah, and now you're <laughs> living in an even smaller town in uh, in in the middle of Ohio. Yep. Talk about how tribe and friendships have changed with the different shifts of your life. Well, I can tell you this. One thing that no longer exists is tribes. And that's probably be, yeah, because of all of the movement, physical movements, um emotional and psychological existential movement. Because of all that um I don't belong to a tribe. Okay. And 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 I I mean I don't want to sound like this kind of proud. I don't belong to a tribe, you know. It it's just um, Right, you're not wearing it as a badge of honor. You're right, just saying exactly. that it, it's factual. Thank you. Right. Perfectly said. Yeah. yeah. Um I think to a degree one of the elements of that is when you become somewhat nomadic. When you become somewhat nomadic, you 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 just it's just something that melts away you just um but i do have um powerful wonderful friendships mm. with a uh, a few people um and and they all exist in different frames when i say different frames is i'm i'm more in touch with five people say five six people right now who I, I consistently talk to on a regular basis. And then there are other people who I don't talk to on a regular basis, but they're still in my constellation as I am in theirs. So um, my tribe, if, if, if I were to say I have a tribe, going back to something I said earlier is more about virtual tribes, you know, the tribe of chefs, right. the tribe of jazz musicians. You know, those tribes, those are those are the people who, you know, I'll go online and find out what they're doing or if they're, if they're no longer with us, see what they've been doing and what they've done in the past and study for, you know, last night at two o'clock in the morning, I was sitting up transposing this, this, this exercise into, you know, a couple of different keys so I could get up in the morning and practice this because I heard that um, two members of my tribe, um, Adam Manis and Peter, uh, I forgot Peter's last name, Peter Martin. That's what they say to do. And I listen to, I hang on their words. So I don't have a tribe in the literal 
sense that I can walk out of my door and say, this is my tribe. And it's funny, I just slow down because I'm thinking about my drinking buddies at the bar. <laughs> you <laughs> so you know, go over to have, the hotel and there's a, there's a tribe there. It's yeah, that like might, that, that might because so I, one uh, woman of the tribe is um, she's a singer. Um, yeah. She, she's backup singer for Steely Dan. Uh, another woman is the is a physicist. Elaine mm-hmm. is a physicist. Mm-hmm. Lorraine is an ex teacher of opera. She just retired. Which I've got um, to plug real quick. And there's a so there's, there's like for, for anybody people. that has not listened to our episode with Elaine, they need to. <laughs> <And, laughs> she is a wonderful human being. <laughs> and then uh, you have Chef Jim Barnard. We yeah. we also had him on. We the had show. him on. So. That has the makings of a tribe. Okay. That has the makings of a tribe. You know, we do talk to each other outside of the bar, uh, restaurant sometimes, but it's it's really a tribe that's built on six bar stools. <laughs> Let, let's talk about uh, a, a question. I So I was talking to someone the other day, and I used you as an example. I used what... Um, I was going to say what happened to you. I don't know if this is what happened to you, but it's more of just what, what, what was your circumstance and how did you respond to it? So you were in Utah, you moved out here. And uh, while you were here, you, uh, you and your wife got a divorce. Right. And then you found yourself single in a state that, uh, yeah, you knew a few people, right. But not a lot. Right. Most places you went into, you're the only black guy there. Right. Right. You're most places you went into, you're the only guy from New York. <laughs> most places you went into. I was the only left-handed person. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I bring this up because there were so many things about where you found yourself within the community where you were the only one, right? Only jazz musician, only person that, you know, is reading these types of book, whatever. Right. But you found yourself in a state, in a community where you were alone and you were different than everybody else around you in many ways. And yet you bridged so many of those perceived gaps and developed so many friendships with people. And what I was telling somebody the other day was how my friend Miles would go grab a book. And he would go sit at a bar and <laughs> read a book with a glass of wine, or he'd go find a restaurant where he could kind of curl up in a corner and get food and read a book. And then over time, these small interactions with people would lead to insightful conversations, which lead to, you know, led to more conversations, which led to friendships. And I mean, to this day, when I run into people and they say, Hey, I've, you know, I've, I've heard you and miles talk or I've listened to the podcast, man, I miss that guy. Oh, it <laughs> so many people that you have developed connections with friendships, acquaintances, yeah. however we want to define them, but you did it by putting yourself out there. Now that's the setup for a question. Mm-hmm. The question is now I, I believe that there's this narrative out there where Men have been told over and over, you have to be vulnerable. You got to be open and vulnerable, which 
I'm not sure that I completely agree with that concept, right? Vulnerable. Vulnerable means let me show you all my weaknesses. And somehow that's supposed to make us stronger. What I think it that's is narrow, more, that's a narrow definition of vulnerable, because vulnerable is bigger yeah. than that. Well, that, I, that, that is you're you're right in the that's the way I hear the definition. Yes. yes. Yeah. That is yeah. the big culturally accepted definition. And so I don't I don't agree with that culturally accepted definition. Fundamentally, I don't. I what I believe in is that men need to lean into the pain. They need to lean into the fear. They need to lean in and say, okay, what do I feel? And then how do I go towards that? What can I learn from this? I'm, it, it does me no good. Like vulnerable is let me show you everything that I am crappy at. And then you, you decide, are you going to accept me or not? Now, if I have something that feels uncomfortable, if I'm shy, if I don't know how to approach somebody to, you know, start a conversation, if I know, if I'm not sure if someone's going to like me as soon as I share my perspective on Kierkegaard or whatever, then I need to lean into that. I need to lean into the fear, the pain, the whatever the emotion is. And instead of thinking about it as let me be naked to the world vulnerable, just say, no, I, I can, I can hold my internal power and strength and say, Part of my strength and power is this idea that I'm in pain and I need to get out of pain. And so how do I do that? And so if a person is finding themselves in a transition, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a, you know, leaving a, uh, a religion, whether they've moved from state to state, whatever it is, any type of transition, and they're trying to find friends, I think your example was a great example. Because you said, you made a conscious choice. I won't be the guy that's just sitting around eating the Swanson Hungry Man dinners at home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you picked up a book and you went downtown and you found some cool places and you started connecting with people. And I think the funniest part, at least for me, was the one night where I, I, I called you up and I'm like, hey, man, we got two extra tickets to Symphony. You want to come? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Grab a date, whatever we show up. It's me and my wife and you and a guy from the bar that you just struck <laughs> up a conversation with like a few nights ago yeah. <laughs> that loved the symphony. And now all of a sudden this guy we're talking and we're all connecting and you just met him like two or three nights before. Yeah. And I just, I had to laugh at that. I'm like, of course you would bring a guy that you just met. <laughs> I'm not a girl, not a date, which you could have gotten many, but you had this intellectual conversation with this guy and you're like, Hey, my friend just said, he's got some tickets to the symphony. You want to come? And he just showed up and we had a great time together. Yeah. yeah. Talk about what you did when you made that conscious choice to go out and to spread your wings and to throw yourself out there to meet people. Well, what were the what I, were the what were the mechanics of it? So you know, one not to make it sound you know that that was such an effort. Um, as we New Yorkers know, if if you could make it here, you could make it anywhere. There you go. <laughs> you know, I, I'm from the probably the social hub of the world. Right, right. You're you're you know? jam packed in there. Right. 
right you know i to to go out you know i have one you know if we if we start with race um and you know i have people that ask ask me this question all the time i've never i've never felt like you know if i've gone to a place and it's all white i've never felt like i'm the only black guy there like right. i just it doesn't it doesn't run in my dna to feel like that you know i walk in looking at okay I'll, instead of um addressing who's looking at me i'm addressing who am i looking at she's hot he looks cool that looks like a really good plate of food oh they got that red wine <laughs> you know yeah, i'm yeah. home right right <laughs> you know i'm home so i think more along but let's pause lines. on that for a second you know i mean cuz a lot of people do look at the outward appearance and there's there's a barrier there regardless yeah. of what it is right there's a barrier you you're not going in looking at the outward appearance and and seeing that barrier, you're looking at what are the commonalities. And I think that's an important thing. When you're trying to uh, connect with other people, it's how do you find the commonalities? How do you how do you find the things that 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 are very interesting? Yeah. And you know, you you take a book, if nothing's happening, um, as as a matter of fact, a couple of women that I've met who have still maintain relationships with to this day were waitresses at bars and, you know, in restaurants, they would come over and go, what are you reading? And I would talk about what I'm reading. And the next thing you know, yeah. consistently coming back to me and we're talking and, you know, you want to have coffee outside of here one day you want to like, and there it is. And then, you know, um, I, I really have to credit, you know, I, I could sit here and sound like I've put together all this stuff to learn how to do that. But I really have to credit like this, my social life in New York city from working in theater and stand up comedy and all that stuff. And and having had some experiences earlier, like when I lived in Iowa, when I went to college in Iowa, mm, we going to these right, right. little these little towns. And, I forgot about Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Played yeah. yeah. Yep. So I had a lot of I had a lot of help and practice by the time I got to Utah, which again, let's use what we could talk about what I brought to Utah, but we could also talk about what Utah brought to me. Mm. And Utah has the most wonderful, had the most wonderful people, you know, especially if you're downtown, those people were social and, right. you know, yep. go to my, you know, I can't tell you how many parties I was at. I was at a, a party with a, a bunch of strict Mormons, you know, there was no alcohol there. It was all this wholesome food and they were strict. And I remember some girls coming over to me like, are you a friend of Michael's? Are you the guy from New York? Yeah, I didn't have to do anything. I just said, I said, yes. And then they, we'd ask questions. And the next thing you know, we're sitting in a circle, laughing and talking and playing games. And, you know, and it's like, oh, we're, we're, we're going to invite you to our party. And so, like, I was prepped long before I got to Utah about just being able to go out. Um, I used to do it in a lot in New York, independent films, um, new restaurants that would open. So I was kind of well-versed in the ability to just go out, be social, um, and have never, ever worried about what people are looking at when they see me as much as I'm looking at, like, where I want to land. What's this place? This looks really interesting. So I, I got to give New York, you know, and two other things, my mother father, because as my family will attest, my mother never shut up. Nice. She was a talker. You could she follow. You, you, you followed in her first footsteps oh, of just God. being a yep. being a talker. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's. So you. So you learned this from childhood. You learned it from experiences in life, and I think that's an important point to make because 
a lot of people think that, uh, oh, I'm, I'm unlovable or I can't make friends. What's a skill set? You, you learned it not only by growing up in, in, a, in an extremely social hub of the world, but yeah. you also spent time in theater. You learned how to perform. You, yeah. You've spent time uh, playing jazz, which means that you were in and out of clubs and, and bars and restaurants and you, you, yeah. you bounced to different places. Yeah. You've lived in other areas, which all gives you experience. I believe that the art of making friends is truly an art that can be taught. Yeah. So I want to point out a couple of things from my observation. The first one is you just went out. You made yourself available. You, you were seen in a space, yeah. right? The second is that... When you walked into a space, you didn't look at it from this fearful, um, self-critical perspective, let's say. No. You went in and you said, oh, that woman's beautiful. That guy looks cool. What wine are they drinking? Yeah. And you had things that you were looking for from other people where you could make some connection, right? Yeah. Do you know the what third? it's like to walk up to somebody and just ask them, you know, what, what wine is that? And you just ask them whether it's a man or a woman and just say, what What are you drinking and what do you think about it? All of a sudden, they just open up. Yeah. They just open up. Go ahead. You were saying something. No, but I think that's an important point. I, I was at the coffee shop the other day and a guy walks in and I looked at the cover of his book as he sat down next to me. And I said, hey, what, do you mind if I ask you what you're reading? And he told me and I said, okay, this the, the title sounds fascinating. What is it? Yeah. And he went off on it. And then he told me about another book that he had read that was similar to this. And um, I said, that's interesting. He goes, it's dark. Because <laughs> it is extremely dark. It's uh, fascinating, but it's dark, just so you know. We had a cool interaction. I don't know if I'll ever see him again or talk to him again, but it was pretty cool. And you can do that in, in many circumstances. And I think that's something, again, I want to come back to the points that you look for things that are commonalities. You didn't just go out there in a self-conscious way. You look for things or commonalities. I think the other thing too, and I've seen this in you uh, with, with all of your interactions, you don't have a goal or an agenda. Yeah. And when I said to you the other day, something I think I've said to you multiple times is that that's, that's one of the reasons why, at least from my perspective, that we have such great friendship is that I don't have an agenda with you. You don't have an agenda with me. I'm not trying to convince you or convert you to something, you know, I don't, um, and, and, and nor are you me. We just accept each other for who we are. Right. You know, politically, I, I, I think you sit more on the liberal side than what I do. I'm definitely not conservative, but I'm not as far on the liberal side as what you are. And I don't, um, I don't care. Like I, I actually like it. I say I don't care, but I do care because I, I, I like the, the juxtaposition when we have political conversations. Yeah. You know, so the other thing is things. what's really funny is two things to think about. One is about 8 billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And of those 8 billion people, somebody's going to like me. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a good perspective. If every, yeah. if every place I walk in, let's we'll use a woman or every place that I walk in is one woman that's going to say, Oh my God, what's he doing here? And yeah. then there's going to be another one that goes, oh, my God, what's he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking between those two things, I'll be all right. There, there was a point where my uh, my daughter, Carly, we were we'd 
we're out at a restaurant and she opened up a fortune cookie and inside the fortune cookie, it said, you are always welcome at gatherings. And so that's become an ongoing joke in her, uh, in our family where, um, you know, we're, we're somewhere and she goes, she just kind of puts her arms out and she's like, you know, I'm always welcome here. (laughs) Having this idea of not only are you looking for things, but then you just strike up a conversation with no intent. You're not going out there to pick up on people. You're not going out there with a, let me convert you over to the, uh, uh, to the belief that miles is the coolest guy around. You just have those conversations. I think the other aspect is that you, um, what, what did they call it back in the day? Um, peacocking, right? Peacocking is where somebody goes out and they dress up in a way to where they get attention and they do it in this very flamboyant way. Uh, maybe they're wearing something that, uh, causes people to pay attention. This was something that, uh, uh, pickup artists, they would talk about, okay, peacock, wear something that like grabs attention and in a very subtle way, I see you doing the same thing. You're not walking out with, uh, you know, a three-piece suit and a cane and uh, trying to to do something that's like, hey, everybody look at me. But <laughs> you, you walk into a place where people are there to eat, people are there yeah. to drink, and you're peacocking because you have a book. And you go in there with something to say, I am going to show the world, I'm going to signal to the tribe or to people who are not part of my tribe, people who would not be attracted to me because I'm carrying a book. I'm going to signal that I'm an intellectual. And then you sit down and you read. Now you do it because you enjoy it. You're not doing it just to show off. You're not doing it to front as, as uh, we used to say uh, with the beastie boys. Um, you're doing it because it's just authentic to you, but it yeah. is a peacock. It is something that shows something that you're interested in, which attracts certain people to you. If people want to have an intelligent yeah. conversation, they'll come to you. People that are, you know, don't like books or they don't want to have an intelligent conversation, they may not. Right. And I think that these these are some important things. Well, you know, there's 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 um, and I've I've kind of played with this, learned it from children. You know, when it comes to playing with little kids, there's what I call coming up under and then being over the top. Okay. And, and oftentimes when you're too over the top, it scares kids. Mm. You know, all of a sudden that's when they start crying and they start clinging right. to their mom right. or their dad. But when you come up under them, they're more curious. Individual people tend to be like that. It's like peacocking too much. Yeah. It's too over the top. And, and then, you know, and the other thing is I love to say is, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to offer what I uh, deliver, what I can't offer or offer what I can't deliver. Oh yeah. You know, if I'm, yeah. if I'm too much of a peacock, you might think that, Oh, going down the road, then he must be that. And I'm not. Yeah. Don't <laughs> so bring peacock, your best game first. Right. My peacock is subtle. If, 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 if I could use the term, it's really subtle. I'd rather come up under people with my interest in what they're doing and a little bit about what I'm doing as opposed to just being the strict peacock with the plume that's all the way out here right, offering something right. that I really can't deliver. <laughs> well, you, you're you, talking you about some nightclubs. Yeah. You well, know, that's, and... you learn, you, you learn that working at nightclubs because you get to know all these people. And I've had many, many moments where guys would come in presenting themselves a particular way. And I knew this guy was not that in any way. And then women would come over to us and literally ask about, 
oh, who's that guy you were talking to? And just like, you, you stay away from him. You don't want to have nothing to do with that guy. It's not the guy, yeah. And yet because his good look, his good looks and his, his, his stature in the place was this kind of grand peacocking, the women would, the friends of ours would ignore it. Mm. And then they would be in the hands of this one guy we used to call the gripper. <laughs> She'd be in the nice. hands of the gripper. <laughs> nice. So I don't want to offer what I can't deliver. <laughs> so give me a book and a glass of wine and put me in a nice bar. I'm good. So these are these are things that we, when we talk about tribe and friendship, and I, I do believe that those are different things, right? But But when you create your curated tribe and people that you pull to you, and people that uh, you, you, uh, there's other people that you repel that are not part of your tribe, and this is where the layered friendship can be um, uh, can be built. But part of what you're doing is you're visually signaling. Going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, yeah, you're visually signaling to people. I like intellectual conversation. You are visually signaling to people that you are not interested in playing big. You're visually signaling to people that you're not going to bring this game to the table that right. is incongruent with who you are. Right. And so those that are a part of an intellectual tribe, those that have resonance with that, they will see that subtle signal and they'll come up and have a conversation with you. Yeah. You know, I think about one day I was, um, I worked for a company and it was really interesting in this in this company. There was a lot of strong tribal signals that were out there. You know, it was the it was the bro uh, culture, and you had to have the right shoes, and and there was a lot of this visual signaling. And and I it just it wasn't my tribe. It wasn't my culture. It wasn't something that I like really truly connected with. And I dressed kind of that way to because that's part of the social currency but i also was like yeah that's not all me and so i dressed a little bit different but one day one of the guys that had just started at the company uh he was our cfo at the time he walked up to me and he just grabbed my wrist he grabbed my wrist like hard and he yanked me towards him and he looked at it and he smiled and he goes hmm I got the same one. Hmm. And I don't wear the watch that I wear so that people that don't know it will know what I'm wearing. I'm not showing it off. I'm not flashing it because that's not me. I don't care. I wear it because I love it. I wear it because there's a lot of meaning behind it. But there are people like him that when they recognize it, they recognize it. And then we can go into the corner and we can talk about it. And we could talk about the other watches that he owns and the, uh, we can, then that led to the conversations about the cars that we like. And it led to other conversations. And one day I remember uh, his assistant kept coming in and was like, Hey, Hey, you got another appointment. He's like, I cancel it. Yeah, I cancel it. And four hours later, we finished up a, a, this fascinating conversation because there was one day where he noticed the watch that I was wearing that created that entry point to the conversation that then led to something that was, you know, much, much deeper from there. Mm. we signal with everything we do. We signal who we want to attract. We signal who we want to repel with that common visual signaling. And so whether it's that you're looking to create more friends or you're looking to pull together and build a tribe, 
It's critical. Now let's talk about this podcast for a second. So we started a podcast, what, um, three years ago or so? Yeah, three years ago. And at the time, that was really the genesis of this new business idea that I had of taking everything that I've learned over the years and saying, okay, I want to work with high-end, high-powered, very smart people. And I want to help them to become the most evolved versions of themselves. And so I, my clients are people who are top performers. My clients are people who I don't just write fitness programs for them. I'm not a trainer. I don't just write nutrition programs for them. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't just uh, consult with them on their business because I'm not necessarily just a business analyst or a consultant, but I'm all of those things. Now, the funny thing is I've sat down with multiple people in marketing and they've all told me the same thing. Well, you need to niche to one person, one thing, because this is what that person does. And this is this fitness person does this. I'm like, yeah, you're missing the point. You're not part of our tribe. You don't get it. When I connect with the right person, they see me, I see them. And there's a strong connection there. You know, I was thinking about a text that I got from one of my clients yesterday. He sends me a picture. Here he is on the mountain. And he's telling me about how much stronger he is with doing his climbing since we've been working together. And he's detailing out the specific things that we talked about. I coach him and I consult with him on how he improves his overall health and wellness. And we talk about how this integrates into the mind and the soul and then how that brings the right tribe together. All of those things, like he sees me, I see him, right? I'm not changing who I am to try to become the next fitness influencer. Because that's the type of person that I want to work with. High-powered person who really gets it. We have extremely intellectual conversations. We talk business. We talk philosophy. And we talk about health. We talk about fitness. We talk about all those different things. So when we signal, we're signaling, hey, here are the values that I hold. Here are the goals that I have. Do you have the same? They don't have to be exactly the same in order for us to make a connection. Yeah. One thing that I value about our relationship and that I also see you do really well in many different areas is you don't take a side and just stay on that side. You're friends with people from all walks of life. You're connected with very interesting people and some who Maybe you're not that interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But you connect with them. There's a difference, I believe, between being able to do that in an authentic way and then playing an imposter. In our last episode, we talked about this concept of imposter syndrome and, you know, being a chameleon and just kind of going along with what everybody says. I don't think this is what we're talking about at this point. We're talking about how do you morph a conversation? How do you tap into the different parts of you? Now, I also believe that this is part of the concept of, are you a main character in life versus are you a NPC, a non-player character? Like, I don't play video games, but so this had to be explained to me, but 
in video <laughs> games, there are non-player characters that are basically, it's that guy that's walking down the road and, you know, he's never a part of the video game, but he's part oh, of the yeah. video game, okay. right? right? And then the main character is the person who has depth, who has uh, breadth in um, so many different things. They continue to pick up skills along the way. And now they have th this skill and they have that skill and they picked up these guns and then they can go blow up uh, that area. Yeah. Right? But, a main character is somebody who has depth and breadth and is not one-dimensional in nature. Um, I believe that when you become a more interesting person, when you become a more evolved man, you have the ability to sit with many, many people, interesting and not, and still be engaged. Because it's not like you're trying to become something else or show that you're something else. You're not an imposter. You're not faking it. You just can be there yeah talk about that well again it kind of gets back to this um word we were playing with earlier and that's fluidity yeah. um because i can be a um well, what was it a non-person yeah the npc NPC? the non-player yeah. character yeah i'd be a non-player character um but we are we all are in right. many people's lives, my most people's lives, we're the non-player character. Yeah, right? the non-player character, and then that, and then somebody will trigger something or start something interesting, and then I could be, you know, that can wake me up, and all of a sudden, it's, I guess what I'm saying is, I can go through an entire range of characters in a moment, from being a non-player to a a minor character depending on the interaction with the person. And so that okay. fluidity, Interesting. So that fluidity is always there because I have been, so it could be a moment to moment thing, right? I could be a non-player character, but by the time the evening is over, I am the main character and yeah. vice versa. You know, I can start off as a main character and what was it? You, you uh, introduced me to something that I had no idea. I've been recently looking at it um, in literature. Now the literary term you asked, you called me up and you said, what's the literary term for, and what was it? It was a character, the fake, the fake hero, something yeah. like that. Yeah, you, you, um, you were the one that actually found it, I believe. I called yeah, you, you up and I said, up. "Yeah, I brought it up." And I said, "What is this?" And then you, um, you were the one that found it and said, "This is what it is." Yeah, I looked it um, up, and I was totally fascinated with it because it listed all these films that I thought the main character was, but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so essentially it's, it's, um, part of where it came from was this idea that in, uh, one of my favorite books, and I believe you like this book too, right? Uh, Zen and the art of motorcycle yeah. maintenance. So yeah, yeah when uh, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, you go through this storyline and at a, at a point you realize that the main character who you believe is the hero, who you believe is the person that is fighting off this bad person is actually the, the, the bad person. And so it flips. Yeah. Okay. Here it is. False protagonist device. Yeah. The false protagonist. I had to go back through our texts. So okay. you, you said to me, now I'm reading all these lists of movies that use the false protagonist device movies. I love psycho dead post society, no country for old men, Fargo, this device has surrounded me and I never knew it was there. <laughs> sort of like God, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I love that idea because um, I to incorporate it in what we're talking about to to be fluid enough to be all these different levels yeah. of character when you're interacting with some people. And then again, it's like, the, you know, I was arguing with a friend of mine the other day, you know, who has this whole idea of this power dynamic between men and women and all that stuff. And I kept saying, I said, power is to a degree who, who should have the power is who knows at any given moment. And it's really fluid. If you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to pretend masculine power if I'm talking to a <clears throat> a woman who knows what she's talking about, and I'm going to sit there and fake pretend I know more. That's right. that's idiotic, you know. So, so it 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 has something to do with what you know, what you're doing, you know, and who has the power. And conversations, if we look at it, just playing with this idea as conversations or interactions with people as a really kind of fluid power dynamic you know you you see it shift and ebbing and flowing as you're back to this concept of with what we're talking about when you're building with somebody and the power dynamic is fluid it's moving back and forth and you're building and you're destroying and you're creating and you're undoing and you're getting in the flow well hell that's just a great great evening of conversation with somebody yeah and I think, I, you let's know, talk about the power dynamic because that, that okay. that's an interesting piece. And I think it is, it's, it's one of the things that keeps men from connecting with each other is because of the power dynamic. Um, many men just understand power dynamic partially because that's how we grew up. We grew up in a patriarchal society. We grew up in a family where, you know, dad was in charge of these things. Uh, we grew up seeing images of men being leaders and women being supporters. And so then, we go to uh, play peewee football, and there's a hierarchy there. We go to uh, play basketball, whatever it is. We, we grow up all of the institutions that we grow up in, in life with as, as men and young men are hierarchical in nature. And so there's, and, and men, I believe, in, intuitively, and this has actually been proven through uh, biological studies, that because of the higher uh, incidence of testosterone in men, we are more competitive by nature. Uh, yeah. than what women are in general. And so the hierarchy and the competitiveness is good. It's healthy. But at the same time, it becomes something that gets in, in the way of people. Now, yeah. you brought it up earlier that when you and I first met, you know, I, I was the person that was in charge of that particular uh, uh, place. And you were a couple, two, three rungs down on the on the totem pole. And yet... We bypass that towards layers of friendship. And I don't think that there is or has been a power struggle, a hierarchy struggle in our friendship. Uh, and that's part of what makes it work. And there are times where, like, I think back to one of the conversations we had on economics. I was going to we bring that one up. This. Yep. And you deferred to me on certain topics. And then many times when we talk, I just defer directly to you because you have a lot more experience in in that particular topic, or you've read more about it, or you've experienced it in a different way than what I have. I have, so a, shut, a, perspective. I have the shut the fuck up mechanism in my head. The, okay. the shut the fuck up mechanism is when I'm talking to somebody, um, and it took me a long time, like I'm, you know, I, right now I'm really fluid with it, I'm good with it, but 
always wanting to like, I don't know, sound powerful. You're talking to somebody and you recognize, and I recognize that they know what they're talking about. And I need to just defer to them because they know what they're talking about. And I don't know anything about this. So mm. shut the fuck up. Yeah. And just listen. Yeah. Just, just listen and learn something because we, you know what the, the beauty of this is, is when you shut the fuck up and somebody is saying something that's really interesting what it's two things. One, you're learning something. And two, it's a jump off point for me to go do some research on what they're talking about. It's not a zero sum game. And I think that that's where a lot of people go wrong, frankly. Yeah. At least in, in the men that I've worked with and the, that I've seen is it's a, they, they believe it's a zero sum game. If I'm not the dominant alpha in this particular conversation, then right. I lose. You win, yeah. I lose. Right. Yeah. And friendships can't be that way. Friendships are infinite games. They're not finite games. I was given a lecture recently to a, uh, a large organization and I was discussing this concept that one of the reasons why men get in trouble in the workplace and, and why they get fired because of conflict or, or challenges or problems or, or they don't understand. I mean, it's a very common thing with men in leadership that they don't understand how much their team actually hates them because of the dominance that they try to bring to the table. They, they're they playing a finite game in the infinite game of relationships. Yeah. Do things or because I said so or else. Um, and men don't realize that they're playing the wrong game when they're playing the game. Yeah. When you've got friendships with men, you, you can't be in this constant who's smarter, who's better, uh, you, you know, measuring contest. It, it it doesn't work. That's not what an infinite game is. I know a kid now who just lost his job, who it was it was his first management job. Okay. And he had this idea of what a manager is supposed to be. And, he, and we were talking, he didn't know how to go into an organization and, and look and just pay attention to watch the dynamic of the people who had been there longer than him, even though he was now their, their boss. Yeah. He didn't know how to do that. And what, what happens is he got caught in lies. He was so busy trying oh, to play the manager that he got caught in lies and he got fired. Yeah. Instead so of humbling common. himself to say, I don't know this. Let me learn that. Let yeah. me watch this dynamic. I've got a team of 10 people that I'm supposed to manage. And they're all different. So let me watch how they interact with each other. Let me have small interactions and start to build. He couldn't do that. He was the manager. I'm the manager. I'm the boss. And, it, and, and because he got caught in a lie because he was too stupid to humble himself, he lost his job. And, and the thing with that is that's not strong, powerful versus yeah. that I am vulnerable. Again, yeah. It's not a binary. We're not playing a zero-sum game. I can not know and still re be really confident because I can be really confident in what I don't know, and I can be really confident in what I do know. Yeah. I can be confident that I don't know that. Right. And I want to know that, <laughs> and so I would like to learn it. But I can also be confident that if I don't know something and I learn it, I do have other things that maybe that relates to. And just because I don't know something, it doesn't mean that I'm now stupid or dumb or whatever. And I think that's something that people don't get. You see, Kars talks about in the idea of an infinite game, that infinite games have what are called unknown players. Mm. Unknown players are people that are not within our realm of understanding. 
So who are the unknown players? Well, the unknown players might be the spouse of the person that is on your team. And when you're talking to this person with a harsh, critical tone, you don't know that the unknown player is doing the same thing. And so you're doubling down on how you're making this person feel. And now because it's happening from you to them, you are the biggest asshole in their life. Or you might have an unknown player that is a supportive spouse that when that person goes home and says, my boss talked to me this way, they say, that is not the way you should be treated. You need to leave. And so infinite games take into the uh, or, or take people who are playing the infinite game, I should say, take into account that there are unknown players. And when you're in a relationship and you're just trying to play the hierarchy game and you're just trying to play this concept of power struggle, you're completely missing the unknown players. Right. Who are the unknown players? What do they bring to the table? You're thinking. You're asking? <laughs> no, I just see the I just see the wheels turning, and so I'm pausing because I'm curious what's going on in your head. Wow, I just love the idea of the unknown players. You know, I just took it in a whole other direction. You know, like you know, like looking at you and and the unknown players to me. Well, even though I know Danielle, but your kids and right. your friends that I don't know of who impact you. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know who those unknown players are, but yet they have an influence because you are the centerpiece of all these unknown players. So for some reason, as just a creative idea, it just really struck me as something really powerful. You know, it's like walking up to uh, one of the things I used to play with as a purely creative exercise, you know, in quantum physics, they said that the photon <clears throat> is a speck of light, but it's also a wave. And I've looked. Mm-hmm. I look at people like that. Uh, the 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 speck of light is you. Your presence. Okay. Right? This is you in the moment, but your wave is your genetic history. Your 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 ancestral Ooh. history. Interesting. And that that makes you a wave because that takes you way back. Yeah. You know your genetic DNA takes you way back to the Big Bang. Your ancestral history takes you so far back. All these people who are forming your wave. And and those are your unknown people that I don't know. Some yeah. you don't even know. Yep. Like yep. you don't know the influence of your great, 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 great grandmother and grandfather. You don't know what their influence is on your DNA that you're bringing to me in this present moment. Well, you know, there's research out now that shows that um, children, when they're in the womb, the way that they respond to stress is partially predisposed based upon how mom reacts to stress while they're in the womb. And so what they have linked as a a correlation is low socioeconomic um, individuals who have high levels of stress tend to produce brains in the children that are more wired to be fearful. Because essentially the signals are, uh, are are being sent to mom to where it's a high stress level, which re- releases certain hormones, which then affect the development of the child. And so you yeah. might have a child that comes out with 
higher anxiety levels, more susceptibility to uh, to difficulties with stress. Now, the researchers will also point out that this is not deterministic. This does not determine where you'll be in life. It just means that you're predisposed to that. Right. Just like, habits. yeah, just like we we talk about, okay, there are people that have certain genes that might be predisposed to being overweight and have a tougher time with their weight through life. It's not deterministic. We're all predisposed to certain things based on our genetic makeup. These are some of the unknown players that we have to look at when yeah. we're playing this infinite game. Now, we talked about at the very beginning, the importance of curating a tribe, that having the right people, the right friends in your life is critical. It's essential. I want to circle around to that particular topic and specifically, how do you know when to turn up the knob of the time and the focus? And how do you know when to turn that down? Because there are some people that we just, we become numb to what they bring to the table. That person who's always negative, you're like, oh, that's just so-and-so. But yet you're always around it. It drains your energy. You're used to that energy being drained. And you're it, it feels normal to you. But then when you step away from it, you're like, wow, okay. I didn't realize how much that person was draining my energy. How do you determine the volume or the, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're turning up the knob to say, okay, I'm going to give this person more of my time and more of my energy. Mm. I'm going to give this person more of my focus. Um, so one is, and this is probably selfish, but not the bad selfish is when you're being fed and when you're feeding, when you're being fed, and it's a it's a good meal. You want to turn it up. Yeah. You want more of that person. And when you're not being fed, and fed means a lot of different things. You can be intellectually fed. It could just be you know you could be with an idiot who's just fun. Mm -hmm. And 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 you're being fed fun. We we all love fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's when you're being fed. Um, and when you're feeding. You know, there's a the ego component of. When somebody likes what you're talking about, you're, you're being fed in an ego way. And it might not feel like, in, like oh, this is my ego, but it feels good. It feels yeah, good to be acknowledged. Right. It okay. feels good to acknowledge people, to acknowledge somebody else's ideas, you know, like when, especially, you know, when you have kids and they're telling you something and it's something that's really good and you acknowledge it. And you can see they light up when they've given you advice about something, you know, it's like, 15 year old kid give telling me something. My son Tiago says something. And I go, wow, that was really like the other day. He was making a meal at home and I was looking at the chicken and I just thought, God damn, that looks really phenomenal. He lit up. Mm -hmm. He lit up. So when we're being fed, <laughs> you know, um, metaphorically and literally, um, as we turn up, turn it up and we're not being fed, we just we turn it down. You know, and again, you know, sometimes you turn it up a lot. And sometimes you're turning it down a little, but that's, I think that's just maybe possibly human nature. You know, when you're getting ideas, when you're being fed, you know, cool things. I think that's it. I think it's as fundamental as that. What do you think? 
the idea when you talked about this of, of uh, kind of a time matrix or a volume uh, it was really powerful to me because in our in our society, in our lexicon, especially in the English language, and I don't know if, uh, other languages have this, but we use very, very harsh words to describe certain things. Yeah. You know, like when your phone runs out of battery, what is it? Dead. Dead. <laughs> like how much more dramatic could we get? I know. I know. Right? I know. We talk about breakup. We talk about divorce. Yeah. We talk about ghosting. These are really inflammatory words. Yeah. What if that's not the case? And what it's if not it's not a breakup. Because what are we breaking? What if what if it's not a divorce? You know, it's I mean, you think about people who get divorced who have kids. You're not getting divorced. You might not be married. You may right. not live together, but you've got kids. Right. So what's being divorced from one thing to the other? You're, you're tied together for the rest of your life. Yeah. In many, many levels, many. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm living that now. Right. You, you and your ex have a great relationship. What do yeah. you live a block away from each other? Yeah. So you're not married. She's remarried. You guys have a great friendship. I mean, I, I, what did you say the other day? She's, she's, your relationship, your friendship is even better now, right? Sure. So I think that the idea of turning up, turning down the knobs is a pretty powerful thing. I don't believe in this idea of I'm just going to ghost someone. You're kind of an asshole if you do. Yeah. Now, if somebody says, oh, I want to go do this or I want to go do that, and you, and, you, and you don't prefer it, then just tell them you don't. You know, how many times have we just been open to have a conversation to say, hey, have you ever, have you ever just sat back and thought to yourself, when I talk, am I more positive or negative? Yeah. Does, does what comes out of my mouth lift or enlighten? Or does it tear down? I have I this thing I want to do. Conversations are, are, are important. Yeah, go for I it. I have this thing. I don't, I don't know uh, You know, if I'll ever get to this. And even saying that just really bends my heart. I was, I, was, I recently started to reread The Tao of Physics. Okay. I still and, need to read that. You told me about that a long time ago. Oh, I haven't done it. it. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Jonathan. And... I'm at the section of the book where, you know, they're talking about how Eastern mystics have come to understand the nature of reality the same way that Western scientists and mathematicians just through two different methodologies. Yeah. So I was explaining that to my friend, Jonathan. <clears throat> and Jonathan said he understands why, because he understands a little bit about Sanskrit. And he said, Sanskrit is such a nuanced language that it possesses the ability to relate to and understand what um, Western physicists and mathematics mathematicians are seeing in their in their um, equations of understanding the nature of the universe. Okay. That the Sanskrit language almost allows it because it's so detailed and nuanced. And I was sitting there thinking, I gotta fucking figure out how to get there. How how do I get there? 
you know, do I have to start learning Sanskrit? Do I have to put everything away and say, I'm going to do this? Because their language almost, they said, is so nuanced and subtle that it allows for those types of interpretations. Mm. And that just blew my mind. It just blew my mind. So extrapolate that out and pull that into uh, emotional intelligence to use kind of a, a bucket term. Uh-huh. Our ability to understand the feelings and emotions. And the reason I, dis, I, I delineate those two is because we feel things. There's a sensation that we can't always put a label on. Then we have an emotion. Emotion is something we've defined. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I, whatever it is, right? There's sensations and feelings, and then there are emotions. Expanding that nuanced vocabulary, I believe, is one of the most important things we can do in life. Yeah, yeah. Know thyself, first and foremost. Yeah. But then also learn how to recognize the nuances of communication and the nuances of yeah. a back and forth in a relationship. Because if you know yourself, then you can manage yourself. If you understand and have awareness in the social setting, you then have the ability to manage the relationships and how you fit into those. And I think that learning the nuanced and the intricate ways of understanding these things will give us a better ability to connect with other people. Then we don't talk about things as this strong, overly... Uh, charged word my phone is dead yeah. right i'm breaking <laughs> yeah. up yeah. what what are you breaking why but there's a very tricky right? component to what you're saying and actually if 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 my memory is um serving me correctly it's in zen and the auto motorcycle maintenance it's um no actually i'm sorry it was from the philosopher ortega e gasset where he said and i'm paraphrasing if you create those nuances with the ability to explain experience, if you create a vocabulary and you're talking to someone, there's the possibility of a grand miscommunication because they don't Very. understand the vocabulary you've created right. to describe the nuanced way of how you're perceiving reality. Right. There's always so that's a tricky. Yeah, it is. It's extremely difficult because babies, for instance, when they're hungry, what do they do? They cry. Yeah. When they've got a diaper that's soiled, they cry. Yeah. When they want to be held, they cry. When they uh, don't feel well, they cry. And so there's yeah. one form of communication. Now, often, if our emotional vocabulary has expanded and our intellectual vocabulary has expanded, we may run into people who don't quite understand the vocabulary that we're speaking from. And that, that is, that's the difficulty that comes into yeah. the, to the infinite game, which yeah. then begs the question, how do I stay in the game? And so that I can play it tomorrow, it never ends. How do I keep this thing going until we can get to the point where we're on the same page? If I want to dial the knob and I want to turn it up a little bit so that, that you and I have a longer or a deeper relationship, how do I then do that tomorrow and the next day and the next yeah. day? And so emotional intelligence, it, it requires time. It requires nuance and we have to be patient with it because relationships require time. They require patience. 
Miles, if somebody's listening to this today and they are in a state of change or transition, maybe they got a new job, maybe they just lost a job, maybe they got a divorce, maybe they left a religion, maybe they're, uh, I don't know, some sort of transition. I might be getting a new job. Good, good. All right. So maybe you're giving yourself advice. What's yeah. the number one advice you would give them? <laughs> about what do you mean? About all these changes that might be taking place? How did they find friendship, connection, tribe, sense of belonging? What 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 would they do? One, um, be open to the experience. And when I say be open, it's a two-way street. Be open to the actual experience, but also be open to your resistances to that experience. To those experiences. Yeah. Okay. Understand what's alive in you both on the, what's pulling. Right. I like that. I like that even better. I like that. Like uh, understanding what's alive on your butt. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. What pulls you, what repels you. Yeah. What pulls you, what repels you. And you'll have great time playing with what repels you because that's, that's, to a degree, that's the journey inward. Right. Yeah. Well, as Cars talks about, it, I, that's that's often how we find out what we believe and who we want to be around. Yeah. Yeah. Because we understand right. what we don't want. Yeah. What is my resistance to this? Why am I resisting this? I ask yeah. that question oftentimes, too. Why am I resisting this? And my resistance always feels really subtle. Mm. So I just kind of, hmm, why are you here at this moment? Is it just because of the novelty? Is it because I'm overwhelmed? Because if I, the minute I start to investigate this, I'm going down a rabbit hole of miles again. <laughs> you're you're listening to Phaedrus rather than pushing Phaedrus aside. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that, well, that would that, that would be it. That would be it. Open to the the actual experience and and your resistance towards it. Grab a book. Go to the bar. Right. Grab a book. Go to the bar. Be, be, be open, be, you right. know, just be, be authentic, which be it's a, it, it's a tough thing to do, but uh, it, the, the great thing is once you do it, once you put yourself out there and you just lean into the fear, yeah, you can show guess up in I'm, a very positive way. Yeah, speak of, guess where I might be working? Oh, you're going to go to the bar. The library. Oh, the light. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised there yeah. either. I had a great interview yesterday. I will see. You know, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. But it was a great interview with the woman Kelly. We had a great time. She was asking me all these questions. It was like a podcast. Nice. You know. Yeah. So we'll see. She said she'll let me know in two weeks. So. Yeah. No I'm surprise like, there. I'd be working at a library. You have no idea how excited. I, hopefully, I can be. Oh, I yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure I know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, my friend, what a great conversation. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time, uh, yeah, tur- turning up the volume, turning up the knob to give me the time to explore this more as, as we've said from the very beginning, I think we often feel like, uh, whether other people believe it or not, or think it, uh, that our best podcasts are the ones yeah. that we don't record just like the best jam sessions are the ones that are never recorded. Do you know and- what we should do? We should ask our listeners our listeners to create a tribe of five people. Mm, okay. And, and, and they could be famous people. They could be not, they could be religious, anybody you want. Um, if it's a friend of yours, just write in why this person is part of the tribe. Cause obviously we don't know your friends. Yep. 
but write in why this person should be part of your tribe. But just build, have our community build a tribe of five people. I love that. I I've taught that concept before, and I've called it your my the, your personal board of directors. Okay, yeah. When I coach okay. my uh, executive clients, I say, "Who's on your personal board of directors?" And what a lot of people don't know is, uh, when you look at a guy like Michael Jordan, who was wildly successful, and he had about uh, at any given point in time, he had about a dozen different coaches, and that and coaches meaning not just basketball coaches, but um, in nutrition, uh, athletic trainers, fitness professionals, mindset coaches. And I think every single person needs to have a board of directors or a tribe that they carefully curate. And they say, these are the people that I'm going to interact with the most. These are the people when it comes to the volume of time, I'm going to turn the knob up. And then everything else can fit in there if you know who your, your top three or your top five are. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I love that. I think it's a great, great concept. I think that uh, our listeners should do that. So that's a great bit of advice. Yeah, I want David Goggins on my board, but I'm too afraid of him. <laughs> <laughs> and man, Jocko Willink, they would be on my board. but uh, I like they'd that. Be, I like they'd that. be screaming at me all the time. Like, what are you going to make these up. changes? Yeah. <laughs> Get up. <laughs> go for a run. <laughs> but it's cold outside. That's why you should go for a run. Yeah. Take your clothes off and go for right. it. Right. I want another board member. I don't want you guys here anymore. You're fired. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hire and fire at right. will. That's right. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and and uh, having this conversation. Thanks for letting us uh, take some of our personal life of our conversations and uh, turning it into a podcast. Yeah. Um, you, 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 I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You are the most interesting man that I know, uh, and appreciate the uh, the friendship and the conversation. Yeah. So same here. thank you, man. It was great. Yeah. Good conversation. And on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of The Evolved Man. I am Steve Keller reminding you that it takes time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. Thanks for joining me today for this episode of The Evolved Man. If you're learning from and gaining value from this podcast, please subscribe to The Evolved Man newsletter, where I can support you even more in your personal evolution. I want to help you reverse engineer your success. The Evolved Man newsletter is like getting a free coaching session to keep you moving forward on your path of personal success. Go to the evolvedmanpodcast.com to sign up today. If you found value in this episode, you can give us up to a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share it with your network. That's the best way to support the podcast so we can continue to get great guests and provide you with the best wisdom for your daily life. Until next time, keep evolving.